This message was presented at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here in the midst of so many of your saints, of your children who are yearning and seeking for a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. May this session and may this whole conference be about Jesus, be about drawing closer to you. And Father, as we take a look at what it means to be male, what it means to be a man in the 21st century, in this time in which we live, we just ask for clarity, for insights from your throne. We ask for wisdom, for discernment, for a balanced and biblical and accurate understanding of who we are as men and what our calling is in your kingdom in these last days. We pray that you would speak, that you would set aside all of our preconceived ideas, and that we might just hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. In Revelation 14, the second angel's message, you hear the following, the following in verse 8. Another angel followed, saying, Babylon is, do you know the next word? Fallen, is fallen, that great city because she has made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Are you familiar with what this word Babylon means? This means confusion, right? Babel, confusion. She's made the nations drink of the wine of her fornication, drunken with confusion. That word confusion, I think, to me, sums up more than any other word what our culture has done to the issue of gender identity, roles, sexuality, and everything involving being male and female. Confusion. Or maybe you'd say deception. Maybe you'd say uh, something else. But it's it's a deliberate agenda of confusion. This is not something that has come about on accident. Confusion. I want to share with you a little bit of history on how we got to where we are in 2000, we'll say 2016. There was once a time long before most of us were alive, but not that long ago, historically speaking, where the culture glorified and put on a pedestal, appropriately, the traditional biblical role of being a man and what it meant to be a man. Programs like these that we probably never should have been watching to begin with, but they were a whole lot better than what's coming out today. This is Andy Griffith, Father Knows Best. They actually had a show called Father Knows Best, which would be just totally unacceptable today, as you know. But these shows and these old sitcoms recognize the importance of what the Bible calls, what, what Spirit of Prophecy refers to as the house band. That's an English word, husband, husband, and what the Bible calls the head of the household. And that's almost a bygone age, a time that's so distant in the past, we almost have to laugh at it. And I look at that, I go, man, that was just a half century ago where our culture kind of got it. They kind of understood what biblical masculinity meant. Well, I used to teach history. And when I taught American history to my students in high school classes, I always would dwell upon how the transition took place from the 50s into the 60s and 70s. Major cultural shift took place in the West particularly as it involves this issue of gender identity and gender roles, the feminist movement pushed forward a theory about gender that's with us to this day. And it basically goes like this. Being male or female in a gender sense 
is total, it's completely a social construct. It does not exist. The only thing that exists is the different anatomy of male and female. But what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman is irrelevant and it's totally invented by culture and it's something we need to just sweep away into history and everybody should be identical. Women act exactly like men, men exactly like women, and there's no difference. This was the message of the feminist movement in the 60s and 70s. In other words, you as a male, and I'm speaking the audience here being male, women are of course welcome to join us for this session, but men, you don't exist. It's basically the message of this, aside from, you know, pro procreation procedures that God has given to males and females. Aside from that difference, you as a male entity do not exist. Your maleness doesn't exist. So, on to the 80s and 90s. What are the results of this? Is anybody my age? Did you watch shows like this one? I hope not. Married with children. This is uh, Home Improvement with Tim, the Toolman Taylor. They, they started to take... The father knows best and the Andy Griffith, you know, leading and mentoring his son and being this good father role. And they made the fathers into what? Buffoons. Good word there, brother. I like that. They're the butt of the jokes, right? They're dumb. They're fools. They fail over and over again. They just sit around with, you know, a beer watching sports. And then you get even into the shows today that are, that are on the air today. That wasn't just the 80s and 90s, whether it's Homer Simpson or Peter, what's his name? Griffin, um, obviously total, total buffoon, good word for it. So this, this issue of the culture's attack upon masculinity needs an answer. And we have a biblical answer. And it's not just the sitcoms, by the way. I want to share with you a montage of clips that I found on YouTube, just different advertisements. I've got to slide it over onto the screen here. Make sure that we got that up and going. All right, now take a look. You'll notice in these commercials, these are all just commercials, the husband or the father is always portrayed exactly as he was in those shows, as being unintelligent, as being lazy, as being driven by his appetite, as being disrespected by his children. His wife is the authority figure in the household. And it's, it's not just one or two, it just keeps on going. So just tune into this. We'll listen to this just for a couple of minutes. You stay here, hon. I'm gonna go cook breakfast. Give me half an hour. He's playing, acting childish, right? Instead of cooking breakfast. breakfast. So delicious, you don't have to. Did you make coffee too? Yes, I will. Egg. Look how fast that is. So it's kind He's of trying to help his daughter with her homework. -ish. It is an encyclopedia. Hellish. Tom, I thought you were going to wash the dog. Yes. Uh, she's working on a school project. I'm kind of helping her out. Tom, leave her alone. Tom! Did we get anything good? Sweetie, I think you need a little extra fiber in your diet. Oh, Carol, fiber makes me sad. Oh, come on. I dare you to taste one hint of fiber in Fiber One. Oh, I'd be able to tell. I mean, why not just eat this bag? And how can you talk to me about fiber while you are eating a candy bar? You enjoy that. I am.
I really like this hot fudge shake. The Oreo bits are good. Why aren't you drinking yours? I'm waiting for it to cool down. It's a hot fudge shake, but it's not hot. Once the hot fudge hits the shake part, it's all cold. See? Not as hot as you would think a shake no. might be. You never think that a shake is hot. Unless it's called a hot fudge shake. Even then, you pretty much figure out that it's not going to be hot. Well, you have to have somebody explain it to you. You do. Hmm. What are you eating? Multigrain Cheerios. So, trying to watch your weight? No. Why? Nothing. It's just the box. It says it's low in fat. Do I look like I need to watch my weight? No, no, no. It just says it has 110 calories per serving. Yeah, but there are other reasons why I, I know, like I it. I know, I know. It's the box. It just says it's made with five whole grains. And that's good, isn't it? Mm-hmm. What else does the box say? The box says shut up, Steve. Is that Ricky Fisher in your fave five? Three-time first grader Ricky Fisher? Two times, Mom. Oh, honey, doesn't that kid eat pencils? Honey, you need to associate with smart guys. Sort of like how you have Dad and Uncle Joe in your five. That's exactly right. Go, go, go! Yeah! Got it. I know. My diet? Well, yesterday I had an apple turnover. Mm-hmm. I know, it's sort of my weakness. I always keep it in the house. Well, that and Boston cream pie, white chocolate strawberries. Yeah, yeah. And mmm, key lime pie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've already lost some weight. Babe, what are you doing? You could just see the look on his face. Like, intentionally, the acting is look, look dumb. Look like, you know, you're dri driven by the appetite here. She was, of course, talking about flavors of yogurt. He's going to look for all these desserts. Again and again and again, the theme seems to be hitting harder and harder as we pass along through history to the point where this one really shocked me. I thought this was a joke. I thought this must have been some sort of fake news, some sort of satirical news, how, you know, masculinity is just totally being ruined in our culture because you don't get much, much more type of manly culture than you do in, uh, in, in the military, right? So you have strong men, military men, literally being forced, required to put red high heels on and walk a mile as a part of a feminist campaign that was taking place on this campus. This happened about a year ago. And I'm going, wow, something is afoot in our culture, no pun intended. Now, <laughs> you also look at the, uh, the action heroes. And what the, what from Huffington Post to Forbes to a bunch of different news outlets, they're commenting on the increase in lead female action heroes, as opposed to the traditional male role of being the strong, being the leader. In fact, the latest, I hope you haven't seen this. I haven't seen it. I don't plan on seeing it. If you've seen it or are thinking about seeing it, watch Media on the Brain, all six parts, and you'll learn a little bit about what the entertainment industry is trying to do to your minds. But this, from what I've heard about the new Star Wars film called The Force Awakens, the lead female is sort of what the lead male used to be. The strong one, the smart one, the, the, the main driver in, as far as the rebel force goes. If you don't know what I mean by rebel force, good. I'm glad that you are unplugged from the culture, but I grew up in the 80s with lots of Star Wars. But anyway, that's what's going on even in the Star Wars culture. So the culture emasculates, if you will, manhood, masculinity. And what is the result? 
When you look at men in our culture today, what are they like? What is going on with masculinity? I think this image really sums it up really well. We have a new creature on planet Earth. You might call this devolution. You might call this the descent of man. This is passive man here. And we descend literally into our man cave in our culture. Passive man goes down into his, wait, cave. Think about that for a moment, a cave is where animals live. So here we have taken on this identity of being a total creature of of passion, a creature of non-intellect. And we go, and what do we do in the man cave? Ironically, we watch hyper-masculine displays of chest-thumping and hyper-competitiveness. So it's as if the masculine energies have been stamped out in our culture. And so what, over, what the overreaction is, is a sports-crazed individuals like the man on the screen who refers to himself as King James. And that's not just picking on that one particular athlete, but this is the culture of sports that we men are so drawn toward. And we're going to talk about more about sports in the next session. But there was an interesting talk that was done by a sociologist and a psychologist named Philip Zimbardo. He did a TED talk called The Demise of Guys. A clever title. Basically, what he was talking about is an observed phenomenon among young men in our culture where he describes that they have a, a social awkwardness, a lack of leadership and strength, that, they, that they're more passive and they don't really know how to communicate as well as they once, once did. And motivation is really dropped among males. And so he gave this whole talk on the demise of guys and what's causing this. We're going to talk about some of that in the second session. But what really struck me was a little survey that they had on the website. After, the, after you watch the clip, you, you vote on what are the number one and number two and number three reasons why men are so passive in our culture and have lost all motivation in our culture. And the number one reason, you know what the number one chosen reason according to this survey was? conflicting messages from media, institutions, parents, and peers about acceptable male behavior. So we're confused. The culture sends us all these conflicting messages. You don't know what is acceptable. Am I being some sort of misogynist, some sort of bigot? If I, you know, become the man that God is, is, is calling me to be, and we end up confused and checked out in our culture. But then speaking of confusion, you know time person of the year, right? Time person of the year was Angela Merkel, the Prime Minister of Germany. But you know who the runner-up was? Yes, there's a hint on the screen right now. Caitlyn Jenner received the runner-up second place for time person of the year for 2015 making headlines and dominating headlines with this issue of transgenderism. And she had a huge effect upon our culture as in just a single person. I want to be clear about something, by the way. When we're talking about biblical masculinity, and next session when we get into the brain and the difference between the male and female brain, we're talking primarily and predominantly to individuals who have a normal physiological makeup, who have a normal uh, childhood experience. But there are folks, individuals, that have a legitimately uh, disturbed past with trauma, with abuse, and in, in, in a small number of cases, uh, physiological anomalies. So 
just in, in a crowd like this, we're talking mostly to guys, mostly to guys who have a normal male brain and normal chromosomal makeup. But to the individual, I just want to be very clear, that is in the situation of struggling with gender identity, struggling with same-sex attraction, whatever it might be. There are some situations where somebody is born with some sort of, uh, some sort of defect, if you will. And that itself, of course, is not sin. If you were a, a victim of some sort of abuse, and trauma in childhood, of course, that itself is not sin. And so just to be clear that the temptations and the feelings that you face in life, you've been dealt a particularly uniquely difficult hand of cards in life. And don't feel condemnation because you have that. But the Lord is asking you to trust Him through that. Do you follow? Because if you take the culture's cues and the culture says to you, well, in order to self-actualize and be the true you, you know, I was born this way. They sing songs about this, right? You have to act out on these feelings. You have to give in to these, these different identities and different same-sex attractions and so on and so forth. The culture says that if you don't do that, that you're in some sort of oppressed situation. I'll tell you something. That is a giant, stinking lie of the devil. Because God can help you and walk you through every challenge in your life. I just want to be super clear on that. And by the way, you're not alone either. Because for every individual who has to face life saying, I may never marry. I may never marry biblically, and therefore I may never marry. You know, I, think, I can think of somebody who lived 33 years on this earth, never marrying, never engaging in any sexual behavior whatsoever. I'm talking about our elder brother in the human race, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, your best friend. Okay, so he knows the walk of having to deny the flesh day after day. And by the way, all of us are kind of in the same boat in a way as well, because a lot of times we think, well, you know, Scott, that's really easy for you to say because you have the joy and the experience of being married. I'll tell you something. You can be fully human. You can be fully Christian. You can live an abundant life even without being married. And I'll tell you something. Every day, my culture, too, slams me with messages, with, with images, with temptations. At the, I can't go to the grocery store without magazines advertising, look at me, look at me, right? Or you go on, check the weather, and these ads on the side. It's just like everywhere we all have to deny the lusts of the eyes and the lusts of the flesh when a million different attractive individuals present themselves to our eyes. And so that's, that's really something we all have to do. So it's not just the homosexual or the person struggling with gender identity that has to bear that cross. We're all in the situation of having to deny the flesh many times over and over again. So let's band together. We are the people of God, and we can do this with Christ's strength. So just if your lot in life is that... That, that, that's not sin in itself, but follow the Lord through it and he will give you, he will give you victory over that. But don't, don't pursue outside the bounds of the Bible and say, you know, I want to uh, you know, have, have a sex reassignment surgery. I want to marry of the same gender and so forth. The Bible is very clear on this. Deuteronomy 22 verse 5, the woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are abominable unto the Lord thy God. So that's something that the Bible speaks very clearly on. And I'll tell you something. Again, speaking to the individual struggling with that, and then we'll get back to the main message. But God may take those feelings away. He has with, with, with some people. Or he may just say, this is going to be the struggle and the challenge that will 
prepare your character for my soon coming because this is going to be hard. This is going to be very hard. And every single one of us is going to face temptations in our life that God will permit for our betterment, for our growth, for our development, so that we can be prepared to meet Jesus when he returns. So just to, just to be clear on that. Now, I want to share with you, just before we move away from that topic, um, this, this clip blew my mind, because the woman you're about to hear from is a self-identified transgender being, okay? Her name is Camille Paglia, and she's um, physiologically, biologically female, uh, identifying male. And what she has to say about this issue might surprise you, okay? She's a scholar, she's a social critic, critic, she's a feminist, and she is a self-identified transgender being. Camille Pegley, I want you to hear what she has to say about this movement that really took off just this year, like just the last 18 months. It's just been aggressively, forcefully moving forward. Transgender mania, I'm stealing her thunder, she calls it that. Let's listen in. I think that the transgender propagandists, okay, make inf wildly inflated claims about the multiplicity of gender. Um, the in the uh, uh, sex reassignment surgery, even today, with all of its all of its uh, you know adva advances, um, cannot in fact change anyone's sex. Okay, you you can you can define yourself as a trans man or a trans woman as some one of these new gradations along the scale. But ultimately, every single cell in the human body, the DNA in that cell, remains coded for. Your biological birth. So there are a lot of lies being propagated at the present moment, okay, which I, th I think is not in anyone's best interest. Okay? Uh, I would not, what I'm concerned about is um, is the uh, you know the, the, the popularity and the, and, and the availability of sex reassignment surgery. So it's someone who is feeling um, uh, not, doesn't feel that that, they, that he or she belongs to the biological birth you know, gender. The people are being encouraged to intervene in the process. Uh, parents are, in, are now encouraged to subject the child to procedures that I think are a form of child abuse. So either you know the hormones uh, to to um, to slow puberty. Okay. Uh, actual you know, surgical manipulations, etc. I, I, I think uh, that, that this is wrong. That uh, people uh, should wait until they're, uh, you know, of an informed age of consent. Parents should not be doing this to to their to, to their children. And I and I, you know, I think that um, even in the teenage years, it's too soon to, to be making this leap. Well, people people change, people grow, and, and people adapt. Um, now, I'm concerned that again about the about this. In fact, in my study of history in, in sexual personae. Um, I, I'm always talking about the late phases of culture, and this is, I, I was very, always drawn to the late or decadent phase of culture. Oscar Wilde is one of the great exponents of that in the late 19th century. He's one of my, my strongest influences from my earliest years. And I found, okay, in my study, uh, that, that history is cyclic. And everywhere in the world, you find this pattern, okay, in ancient times, that as uh, a culture begins to decline, you have an efflorescence, okay, of transgender phenomena, okay? That is a symptom of cultural collapse, okay? So rather than people singing the praises of, of the humanitarian liberalism, okay, that allows all of these, of, these, of these transgender possibilities, okay, to appear and to be encouraged, I would be concerned about what, what, how Western culture is defining itself to the world, because in fact, this, these phenomena are inflaming the irrational, indeed borderline psychotic opponents of Western culture in the form of ISIS and other you know, jihadists 
Baptists, etc. Okay, nothing more, you know, better defines the decadence of the West to the jihadists, okay, than our toleration of, hom of open homosexuality and this and this transgender mania now. Okay, right. um, so I mean, I think that um, you know, any vision of the future, the, the, the futurists from the from the science fiction of the late uh, 19th century into the 20th century, usually they have projected that that um, men and women in you know in, in distant space, okay, will start to conform to each other in gender, and you see that in you know you see it in Star Wars. Gender seems to start to be erased. Men and women are working side by side, almost as as as, as units in a, in a machine. There's something mechanical about it. This shaving away of gender differences, okay. Yes, um, uh, it, it, more and more, you know, the the masculine is seen as somehow retrograde, as something you know the Paleolithic, something belonging to the past. Wow, are the stones crying out or what there? Isn't that amazing? And, and it, boy, as I think about the weeds and the wheats growing up together in the last days unto the harvest, and you know that our culture in the West and globally is going to degrade more than any culture ever has in the past, don't you expect these things to be amplified all the more? The transgender mania, as she calls it, the melding of the genders so that there's not a distinction and a difference, like I was just talking about with the feminist movement of the 60s and 70s. So we live in a time where we can objectively say that this propaganda push, as she called it, is absolutely going wild. And what one thing she said about is people, people change in terms of their feelings and their attractions. And their, what, what one Australian researcher identified and discovered in the research was that so many, particularly youth, go through phases where they, they have changes in their feelings and they might think that they are a certain way, that they are homosexual, that they are bisexual or whatever, but then later on that that changes for a very large number of youth. In fact, he came out and said that there are more ex-gays than gays because so many people had that, that, that stage in their life and then their, their, their life moved on and they, they kind of went beyond that. And that's not to deny, of course, the reality of that hand of cards that many people have been dealt, but that's also part of what she's talking about, that this, these things change. And also, I should mention, by the way, that when she says to leave the children alone on this, I just like, this is the one thing that starts to get my blood boiling a little bit when I see what's going on in the schools to propagandize the minds of small children and so warp their view of sexuality and gender. And this is, this is predominantly a seminar for, for males of youth and adult age. But really, you know, I got to start preaching that message on the children again because I've got little ones and I can't imagine how crazy you'd have to be to actually entrust your children's mind and soul and character and worldview to the worldly schools of our time when they're pushing this so aggressively. I have a whole bunch of information on that, but I'm leaving a lot off on this just to focus here. But, you know, it's not just a cultural attack on the genders. One thing that really surprised me is studying into the physiology of the endocrine system. Are you familiar with the endocrine glands? Basically, every human being has an endocrine system that excretes various hormones. You've got androgens. You've got different male and female hormones, estrogens being predominantly female, androgens like testosterone being the more male hormones, and males predominantly 
have, have more of the, the, the androgens, females more of the estrogens, of course. But recently, what, what they found in our environments, in the food, is, is something that they refer to as xenoestrogens, spelled with an X. Xenoestrogens and other types of chemicals in the pesticides. We're talking about the, the hormones in the meat, um, chemicals in the plastics even. And these have a a suppressing effect upon the endocrine system so that the endocrine system can't properly regulate the hormone balance. So maybe it's not just a cultural propaganda that's manipulated people's minds into thinking this way or that. Maybe literally physiologically, we are suffering from hormone imbalances in our developmental years to the point where we have actually an increase in the number of people struggling with these issues. Uh, so, you know, this whole myth about, let's be real men, I got to eat a big slab of beef on my plate, right? Well, that beef, that cow is loaded with hormones. They, they, they shoot these, guys, these, these cows up with hormones and antibiotics and all sorts of things, well, that may actually have an effect that, you might, that might surprise you. So when, basically when men have larger amounts of, of xenoestrogens in, the, in their system, then the proportions of androgens versus estrogens gets out of whack. And in, in extreme cases, they find that uh, uh, erectile difficulties in males, reduction in body hair, uh, sometimes literally male breasts being formed, and you're going, wow, there's something really, really messed up going on here. You know that Satan is up to a major push in the last days to ruin the males, the leaders of God's movement. Now, how does this all relate to Bible prophecy? The, um, the 2015 was just an amazing year in history. I always like to look at things as a historical, through the historical lens, flying over the forest, if you will. And this moment right here in American history was absolutely critical. It was a hinge point in American history. The moment, of course, for those listening to the audio, the Supreme Court passing, uh, declaring, uh, the uh, gay marriage to be the law of the land in every state in America. And so no state now may say, we dissent, we want to only have regular traditional biblical marriage. That's not allowed anymore. And they literally flashed the rainbow symbol right on the White House, sort of as an in-your-face moment. And again, what does this have to do with prophecy? What I see happening in current events and in recent history is this push on the part of what you might call the, the secular humanist, the, the, the secular left, to really aggressively advance a cultural agenda. For example, this one right here. Are you familiar with the Queen James Bible? I mean, they're almost deliberately trying to agitate and, and, and blasphemously just rile people up. This is not a joke, again. Some of these things I, I have to look, is this some, some hoax thing? No, this is real. The Queen James Bible with a rainbow cross on the cover. And then they actually change the verses of the Bible. This is the King James, Leviticus 18.22. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. Well, in the Queen James Bible, it says, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. In the temple of Molech, it is an abomination. So he just added the words, in the temple of Molech, which implies that you can lie in such a fashion elsewhere, as long as you're not in the temple of Molech. Because the verse, after all, only says, thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind in the temple of Molech. It is an abomination. So you can engage in that behavior outside the temple of Molech, says the new Queen James Bible. Now, of course, these words were not in the Hebrew at all. They were not in the original at all. There's the transliteration of the original. And with, the, with a male, not, you shall lie with, the lying with of a woman. Of course, this is all convoluted versus our English, but that's the Hebrew. There's nothing about Molech in there, right? Amazing, amazing. So the, the push is going forward to the point where you even have 
stores like Target actually buckling to this pressure and they actually removed their male and female labeling for the clothes and toys. Like normally you go to the girls' sections, a little more pink and different toys and so on. They said, no more male and female in our stores because it might offend somebody who doesn't identify as one or the other and we want to be you know, sensitive and so on to the transgender issue. And of course, the, the bathroom controversy was just like the talk of 2015. So I don't need to rehash all that, but the emergence of transgender bathrooms. I actually have personal experience with this one because I, I went to a wonderful organic restaurant. And many times when you go to a urban, you know, health food type of place, uh, you know, the worldview and the philosophy there might be slightly different from biblical Christianity. And so when, when I went in there, there, there was some, some weird stuff on the walls and so on. And I'm okay, I, I kind of understand what kind of place I'm in here. But let me just test this, because I went to the restroom, washed my hands, get ready for eating my organic vegan food, and uh, I noticed uh, there were two restrooms. One was male or female, and the other was male or female. And I'm like, huh, that's weird. Usually when there's two restrooms, it's male, female. Or sometimes you'll have a, a unisex restroom when there's only one restroom, right? So that would make sense. Sometimes you'll have like a unisex or a family restroom when there's three restrooms, but I've never seen two, and they're not male, this one's male, this one's female. So I went to the uh, lady at the counter, and I couldn't, I couldn't uh, you know, show all my cards, if you will, or I might have had you know, somebody spit my food or something, or throw me out of the place, but <laughs> so I just kind of went up to the counter, and I said, you know, I noticed that you guys have the two um, restrooms, they both are gender neutral. Uh, was that in an effort to you know, be sensitive to the transgender community? And so she, she looks at me, she gets this very serious look in her face and like kind of bows up and she's like, yeah, we are definitely not the kind of restaurant that would put male on one of the, uh, one of the bathrooms and female on the other. Like this look of indignation, like that would be some horrible, offensive thing. And I'm going, wow, we are literally entering a time, like Camille Paglia said, with the melding and the merging of genders where there is no distinction. And if there is a distinction, that's considered some sort of offensive thing. Oh, that this one really blew my mind. I was speaking to a friend who's, uh, she's been going through the education system in child development and special education. And she had a uh, sort of practicum experience with, with some children. And she said, I got to apply some of the things I was learning. And I'm like, oh, what are you learning? Because I'm into the child development stuff too and parenting and education. I thought this would be an interesting conversation. Oh, it was interesting. Because she goes, well, you know, one thing that really is important in the development of children is, Say they're playing with a toy. It's important for you to not intervene in that and tell them, like, what the toy is. I'm like, what? Come again? Yeah, like, if they're playing with an airplane, don't come in and say, this is an airplane. Because maybe to them, it's a boat. I'm like, what? No, but it's an airplane. So I'm just listening. I'm not taking it all in. I'm not responding. And then... I knew where this was going because she goes, and if there's a little boy doll or a picture of a girl or whatever, you don't say that's a boy and that's a girl. I'm like, that's what this is all about. The postmodern culture wants to annihilate reality. Can we just put it that way? I mean, there is no truth. There is, are, of course, no moral absolutes. I mean, that was out the window years ago. But now there's no distinction between male and female. There's no reality and identification of facts and objects being what they are. 
It's just an incredible number that our culture has done upon the minds of these children to the point where, and this, this again is, is real, this is not fake news, this is the Toronto Sun, mother and father are being dropped from Ontario government forms. So they used to have you know, your forms for your birth certificate, who's the mother, who's the father, they, you can't say mother and father anymore because some people might not identify as these gendered terms. In the classrooms, they have children doing the same thing. We're not going to say he or she today, we're going to... We're going to um, use different names like purple penguins for different groups of people of both genders. And mother and father will gradually disappear from Ontario government forms. Liberal MP, uh, Member of Parliament Glenn uh, Tribeau introduced a motion passed by the legislature Thursday calling for gender-neutral language. It's a motion that's out there to make sure that government is continuing to look at what we can do to progress and make sure forms are inclusive. Birth certificates will continue to refer to mother and father for now, but basically that's changing. His motion says that the legislature supports replacing gendered terminology with gender neutral and inclusive language on all government forms. The government, the government should reflect the diverse nature of our province, including that not limited to replace the terms mother or father with terms such as parent or guardian. So we'll say parent or guardian now, not mother and father. And it, it really goes to this extent here at Kansas University where the student senate just last month voted, they passed a motion that in student senate business, part of their decorum, part of their rules, their bylaws, or whatever you'd call it, is that they may not use terms like he, she, him, or her, his or hers, etc. No gendered terminology at all is allowed on the student senate. And so... At that point, I start to wonder, is, is reality itself under attack? And if you can't say he or she, him or her, then we're in really big trouble with the Bible. I mean, if he, she, him or her is hate speech, then the Bible itself is going to become even beyond that. How about just violence itself? You think I exaggerate? Listen to what Pope Francis said just last year. This was in a statement about fundamentalism. Now, before I tell you what he said get you a basic definition of fundamentalism. Fundamentalism means the belief and the trust in the scriptures as the inspired word of God. And that could be whatever religion, belief in their scriptures as literally true. Okay, so you are all fundamentalists if you believe in the Bible and believe in six-day creation and all of that. Okay, so this is what he had to say about fundamentalists. He said, a fundamentalist group Although it may not kill anyone, although it may not strike anyone, because some of the Muslim fundamentalists out there are violent jihadists, of course, but what he's saying is a fundamentalist group, even though it doesn't kill anyone or even though it doesn't strike anyone, it is violent. He says the mental structure of fundamentalism is violence in the name of God. So believing in this, as I mentioned a moment ago, literally is getting to the point where we will be called a violent hate group even as a church that believes in non-combatancy, which we're going to talk about next session, which is highly ironic. But what he's saying is it's not about actual acts of violence. This is why this term microaggressions is being used on college campuses. If you say anything that's politically incorrect, you have just engaged in a microaggression against somebody. Where traditionally in law, in common law, in British law, in American constitutional system, an aggression is an act that deprives somebody of life, liberty, or property. It's an actual act that has violated them in some way. Well, today, 
microaggressions are if you hurt somebody's feelings, you have engaged in something that is like an aggression. And in other countries, in Canada and Western Europe, they actually have laws on the books against what they call hate speech. So this is coming here. In fact, there was just a school, a Catholic school in Boston, Massachusetts, just last week or two weeks ago, and they, uh, they refused to hire a homosexual man as uh, part of their staff because they didn't think that that would be a good example to the, the youth at their school, and they, did, they, they, they said, we don't believe in this, and he's openly living this, and this is not what we're about. Well, he sued. The courts came in and said, you must hire him. So this is the way we're headed now after that Supreme Court decision. And I ask the question, what does this have to do with prophecy? Because this particular session is called Biblically Correct Masculinity and the Mark of the Beast. And we've, all, we've seen all leading up to this so far, the idea that the culture is attacking absolutely the genders and anything dissenting against that is considered to be hate speech. Basically, let me, let me repeat history, okay? 1960s and 70s, we had two things happen. One, a cultural degradation of morality. You had sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You had free love and all of this in the 60s and 70s, right? And then in 1973, you had a landmark Supreme Court decision with Roe versus Wade and the abortion movement, okay? What did this lead to politically in America? Because we know that the mark of the beast is not going to be imposed by the secular progressive humanists. You know that the mark of the beast in Revelation 13, by the way, if this is new to you and you're, you're coming to GYC for the first time, you're like, what is he talking about, mark of the beast? Go to this website, write down this website, BibleProphecyTruth.com, okay? And study this issue in depth. Revelation 13 talks about a time where you will not be able to buy or sell and there will actually be a death decree imposed upon everybody in the whole world if you don't abide by the religious structures and practices of the beast power that is the whole world is following after. Okay? And so this is a religious persecution, just like in the Dark Ages. Religious persecution. The final events of Bible prophecy are not secular persecution, like the kinds we've been talking about here. But it's religious. So what happened in the 60s and 70s? <clears throat> cultural degradation, and a big Supreme Court decision that really got the religious community of America angry. And that led to the rise of the religious right with Jerry Falwell, Pat Robertson, big names like that. And they called themselves the Christian Coalition, the Moral Majority, and we're going to take America back for God. That was the, uh, the rallying cry of the religious right. And basically, that was sort of stepping their toe into the Mark of the Beast stuff of we want to enforce religion. Freedom of conscience is not acceptable because look what that has led to. We need to not have so much freedom of conscience in our country because it leads to all of this cultural decline and all of this immorality. And we need to truly politically take America back for God. And we, the Christian community, will rule the structures of government. Is that biblical? Is that what we ought to be doing? No, we should be people who promote religious liberty and freedom of conscience. Now, that's what happened in the 60s and 70s and 80s. What does that have to do with right now? Well, are we seeing history repeat? Moral degradation and a landmark Supreme Court decision. We're seeing this repeat. So can you see a return and a rise and a resurgence of a movement on the right that will eventually lead to the imposition of the mark of the beast? So it's not so much the secular, progressive 
you know, homosexual movement that is the danger ultimately to religious liberty. Yes, that has temporary and temporal and, and present dangers to religious liberty. But the big danger that's coming down the road is the reaction. Because when they flash the rainbow flag up on the White House, and when they say, you can't even say he or, uh, he or her and him uh, and his in, in these words, people start to say, this is crazy, and they overreact. So there's going to be a reactionary response in the near future. In fact, it's already happening. We have prominent political candidates right now saying things like, we need to put everybody of a certain religion in a national database and track and monitor their behavior and just stuff like that was unthinkable years ago we're going to need to do and security is going to rule. And we, we see the, the murmurings, the, the, the rumblings of the coming police state, if you will. So religious liberty is under attack already. Now, what does the Bible have to say about all these gender and sexuality issues? I want to actually answer the culture on this and see what the Bible, what Jesus has to say and what this, how, how we as men can understand what it means to be male. Now, I can say, as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, the term fundamentalist, we can, we can say, yes, I agree. I believe in a six-day creation. I believe that Jesus is coming literally in person, and that is why we're here, right? I mean, we are here to draw closer to him, to be prepared for that coming. That's what it's all about. So if, if I don't truly believe in that, I mean, what's the point? So I am a fundamentalist. I believe when it says in the Bible that... That, that there is God made them male and female. God created them in his own image. In the image of God created he them. Male and female created he them. I, I believe this. I believe that the two are different. And this is not talking just physiologically. This is talking about us being image bearers of God. So in a unique way, males alone or females alone don't fully reflect the image of God. It's together, male and female, that we, we reflect God's image. But you know from history, you know from intuition that there's a difference. But the Bible even says that there is a difference. God, of course, is referred to predominantly in the Bible in masculine terms. He's referred to as our father. But I, wonder, I, I threw together a little bit of a bullet point list on how women especially reflect certain aspects, certain attributes of God's character better than men do. And the Bible refers to it. Like Isaiah 66, 13, God says, I comfort just like a mother comforts her child. Just like a woman who would never forget her nursing child, I will not forget my children, he says. Like a mother eagle. I'm like a mother eagle hovering over her young. What a beautiful picture. These are pictures of God. I seek the lost like a woman seeking through her household looking for a lost coin. I care for my people like a midwife that cares for the child she just delivered. I can get as angry as a mother bear wrapped of her cubs. And I long for my people like a mother hen longs to gather her chicks under her wings. Isn't that wonderful? That's beautiful. Now, you could also go way too far on this. Have you ever heard of this book, The Shack? Okay, this, this pictures one of the persons of the Trinity as being female. That's not biblical. In fact, there's a uh, United Church of Canada, the largest Protestant denomination in Canada, has omitted completely in, in, their, in their denominational um, publications any reference to God as a father. Instead, they, they pray to mother or father God, mother and father God, or simply mother God. 
So in certain theological sectors, there's no interest at all in being biblical. So we don't want to go that direction. But this list right here, we can see that God created females in a unique way to reflect his image in a way that it is not good for man to be alone, that the man could not do alone. So God created them male and female to reflect his image. Now let's get into a little bit of what that means. Um, Basically, you can see clearly in God masculine characteristics that he has given to men to reflect. And I say they're masculine because he created men in that way. Strength. Decision, power, right? But then there's also mercy. There's also comfort. There's also grace and caring and affectionateness. We have Jesus uh, talking about the lilies of the field, right? And some like tough guys might say, well, you know, that's not, that's not masculine enough to talk about the beauty of the lilies of the field. And Jesus had the little children on his lap, right? I mean, this is what God is like in his complete and total nature. And so he embodies all of the aspects of what it means to be human. And of course, we all need to embody all of them as well, but not necessarily in equal proportions, okay? So it's not a moral, decisive delineation where if, you, if you're a man, that you're not supposed to be comforting and appreciating of, of uh, the delicacies and beauties of nature and all of that. No, 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 no. Let's not. See, that's part of that overreaction thing where people would go way too far and say, oh, we'll talk about it next session, actually, something called muscular Christianity. Next session is going to be very enlightening and eye-opening. We're going to get into the, into the brain science behind all of this. But... I hope this goes without saying. As I get now into the difference between male and female biblically, it is, of course, difference, but difference in kind, but not difference in quality. Do you know what I mean by this? Male and female were, were created different, but not as a hierarchy of, uh, of value. Okay, so we believe completely, obviously, this goes without saying, that in the kingdom of God, there is neither male nor female, slave nor Slave nor free, Jew nor Greek, etc. Ye are Christ's, ye are Abraham's seed, ye are heirs according to the promise. Ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. We have all been baptized and have put on Christ. So as it comes to our value as children of God, as children of Abraham, as Christians, it's exactly equal. There is no difference there. But there is a difference in terms of who we are. This is a statement from Daughters of God. I know that, the, actually, this isn't about the difference. This is about how absolutely progressive this movement was in a good sense of the word. I love this. I know that the faithful women should be paid wages as it is considered proportionate to the pay received by ministers. Did you hear that? Whoa, what if churches did that for the past hundred and whatever years since that was written? That's a, that's a way ahead of its time statement. I know that the faithful women should be paid wages as it is considered proportionate to the pay received by ministers. They carry the burden of souls and should, be treated un, should, should not be treated unjustly. These sisters are giving their time to educate those newly come to the faith and hire their own work done and pay those who work for them. All these things must be adjusted and set in order and justice be done to all. Way ahead of its time. You know, there is such a thing as a good progressiveness, a good progressiveness. But a a word of caution on progress. There's an idea, there's an idolizing of progress as if progress itself is the end goal. Here's a definition of progress from Merriam-Webster. A forward or onward movement as to an objective or to a goal. Let me use an analogy here, okay? If you're progressing on a hike, 
up a beautiful mountain pathway, okay? The, the experience of progress itself is beautiful, but really you want to get to the overlook, right? You want to get to the lookout spot. And when you get there, you stand and you, you are just in awe of the beauty of the majesty of creation and you go, wow, this, is, this was the end goal. And the progress that brought us there was an amazing experience. But for those who idolize progress in itself, they would just keep on going, right? And it's the forward movement itself that matters, which would eventually carry you off the cliff. So what is the end goal for true biblical progress? It's getting back to the Garden of Eden, back to God's original design. And that's in your personal life as well. When it says you put on Christ, this is a personal experience of being saved and, and, and being regenerated by the blood of the Lamb and progressing closer and closer to Jesus Christ and His character. Now, this statement, this is where it gets sort of, I guess, politically incorrect. Here we have, Eve was created from a rib taken from the side of Adam, signifying that she was not to control him as the head, nor to be trampled under his feet as an inferior, but to stand by his side as an equal. Now, that's, that's very progressive. To be loved and, prog- and protected by him. But you hear this, protected by him. How could you say such a thing? Does this mean that male and female are exactly the same when it says they're equal? Exactly the same as it regards to salvation, as it relates to salvation. Exactly the same as we are children of God. But, you know, I, a couple analogies here. There, uh, is it okay to say that Kenyan runners are the best long-distance runners, that they're better at it than a guy like me where my ancestors hail from the Netherlands in Europe. <laughs> yes, the Kenyans are better at long-distance running. Is it okay to say that when it comes to combat, males are better equipped as a group than females? They found in a recent study, the Army, the army found that women face two to four times the levels of injuries, mental breakdowns, depression, etc. And that's not saying that people from the Netherlands are bad and Kenyans are good. It's just there's differences, right? So what are these differences? Let's get into this. I want to share with you what the, the identity of the Godhead is and the relationships within the Godhead, and then we're going to see how that relates and applies to male and female genders, okay? It says this in Patriarchs and Prophets. None but Christ, the only begotten of God, could fully enter into his purposes, and to him it was committed to execute the mighty counsels of his will. So Christ executed the mighty counsels of his Father's will. The Son of God had wrought the Father's will in the creation of all the hosts of heaven, In all this, he would not seek power or exaltation for himself, contrary to God's plan, but would exalt the Father's glory and execute his purposes of beneficence and love. So did you follow all that? The Son was executing the Father's will. He was doing the Father's plan. Could we say that he was in submission to his Father? Yeah, and that's not bad. That didn't put him in some sort of subservient, degraded position, although he was a servant in that sense, in the good sense of the word. Here you have 1 Corinthians 15 and 11. It says, When all things shall be subdued unto him, meaning, Christ, meaning God, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto God that put all things under him. So in the future, when all evil is annihilated, the Son, will, Jesus, will continue to be subject to God. For the head of Christ is God. So this is something that's in the very identity of the Godhead, of the nature of God. The concept of headship, submission, 
is biblical, real, and it's who God is. And that's why, by the way, there's such an attack on it. Because Satan wants to annihilate anything that has to do with the character and nature of God, especially those who bear his image. Now let's get into what this has to do with male-female as us bearing the image of God, male and female. It says, I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, I know many people would say, well, this is just something that was influenced by the culture back then, and this is not no actually inspired. You know, I, I believe in the Bible, so I can't go there, especially when I see in the Garden of Eden this headship relationship, and I see in the creation of this earth, Jesus was subject to the will of the Father, and in the future, after sin is annihilated, then he will be subject unto him. So this is not just something that's a result of the fall. And it's not just something that it was the culture influencing the writers of the Bible, which makes the Bible kind of not as inspired. This is actually God's design. Okay, now we're going to get a lot more into that in the next session, but I'm just flat out of time. So I have to hit pause on session one. I over, I over prepared too much content, but we're going to be unpacking this further and understanding what that means for guys who aren't married, first of all, but then also what that means in our homes, in our churches, and how to take this position of leadership and headship in a biblical way and not go counter to that. We're going to see a absolutely dangerous, counterfeit masculinity that is huge in the evangelical churches. And we've been given such a gift We've been given such a gift in an understanding of the Bible in a clear and balanced way. And there's a thousand different deceptions out there, especially on this issue. This is a tough issue to navigate. So we're going to spend the next hour trying to understand the brain science of male and female and fully finish understanding this issue of headship, submission, maleness in the Bible. What does it mean to be a man scripturally? So let's close with prayer and we'll take a break and come right back in 14 minutes. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this brief time we've had to think about your word and understanding that prophecy is soon to be fulfilled. We know that the, the cultural agenda and the, the propaganda manipulations that take place in our world, that we don't need to be a part of that. I just pray that you'd impress upon us to unplug and detach from the cultural messages that are so warping the minds of men Give us a, a, a renewed love for your word, a renewed love for being in, in nature, for experiencing life the way you designed it so that we're not exposed to this system of control of the thoughts of the masses. And I do also ask, Father, that you'd help us to not overreact to the uh, progressive secularist agenda that seems to be annihilating all reality and truth and morals. Help us not to join that movement that seeks to legislate and enforce but to rather just share the gospel. And this is why we are here, Father, at GYC. We know that we are here to receive a call, knowing that we are chosen, knowing that we can only be faithful if we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so for that, we ask right now that you would baptize us with your spirit, that you would give each soul in here revival and reformation so that we can understand our role as men, understand what your word is teaching us and that we can truly lead and do your work in our individual lives. I thank you for a, an opportunity to take a break and to come back and hear more from you. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, 
and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.